Welcome to the Theme Entertainment Design Show, uh, episode number 80, 80 years young, 80 episodes in. And this was quite a treat with Ariel Rassel, uh, been all over the place, been around the country, uh, worked on huge projects, and also just great advice, great advice on navigating the industry, which was fantastic. Really inspirational. I think that a lot of people will benefit from her experience and advice. So stay tuned. Whether you're an industry professional, lengthy in the career, or just starting out, you're going to love to hear this interview. Enjoy. Andy, how, how the heck are you? Welcome to the show, everyone. For those listening in on our podcast. We still have the podcast. We're just a little bit behind. Yeah, we need to record. We need to record the intros after the show. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, we're on. We're live on the air, coast to coast, worldwide. Welcome to Untitled Themed Entertainment Design Show. Uh, we're doing ten questions with our Ariel <laughs> <laughs> Russell. Sorry, had a lot of discussions about pronunciation of names right before on it, so I couldn't. I help can't me. believe you blew it on no, the I show. Knew, I knew what it was. I just I was thinking about making a joke, and then I and I decided to not do it. Uh, so hello everyone, welcome. Excited to do that. Um, how's everyone doing? Look, we got several people watching. Go ahead and drop your comments. How are you? Are you excited? There's a lot of things in the air. Next week we have TEA Inspire and the Thea Awards Gala. Uh, really excited. I'm, I'm able to go, I'm, and we had a really great partnership with TEA. Uh, for the Big Break Foundation, so shout out to them. So if you're on the fence about going to TEA Inspire or the Gayas, tickets are still available, and we highly suggest you come check it out. Right, Andy? If you've got 500 bucks to blow on a dinner, absolutely. Yeah, it's but it's a, it's a really great dinner, and you can write it off as a business expense on your taxes. So highly recommend it. TEA, great people. We've, it's been a great uh, great partnership with them for Big Break Foundation for the our scholarship program, so shout out to them. You know, but now, you know, um, I kind of, you know, we're not a political show here on the air, but uh, po- politics and theme parks come together. And uh, I'm, I'm reminded of that gif of the of Sideshow Bob as he's walking forward and he, he keeps hitting the rakes mm-hmm. uh, and over again. I probably should have pulled it up. Uh, that seems to be the situation um, with Reedy Creek right now. Andy, in the news, Reedy Creek, what do we got? How would you paraphrase well, this? Well, I mean, you know... <sighs> What a time to be alive in Florida, right? You know, and be be governed by uh, such buffoonery. You know, you've got you know the Reedy Creek Development Improvement District that's been around for like what sixty years or whatever, fifty years, and then all of a sudden, you know, certain political factions decide that they want, think that they can influence Disney's creative output, and the way that they're going to do it is through property rights, and it's all very bizarre. But uh, you know, they were outsmarted by you know Disney's you know you know campus full of lawyers uh, by uh, in, by basically just canceling out all of the board's yeah. powers in uh, in and not in perpetuity. But uh, CG, do we have the uh, the quote we can bring up the uh, the well, the non perpetuity clause that that they included? No, I don't think quite. Yeah, I gave him a different quote. Um, oh, okay. What I will say 
is okay no do we have what do we have a quote okay so just leading up to it we kind of jumped to the end a little bit on that um we have you know for more than 50 years Reedy creek improvement district has operated at the highest standards and we appreciate all that the district has done to help our destination grow and become one of the largest economic contributors and employers in the state we are focused on the future and are ready to work within this new framework and we will continue to innovate, inspire, and bring joy to the millions of guests who come to Florida to visit Walt Disney World each year. This was like a month and a half ago um, or so. And that's Jeff Valley, the president of Walt Disney World. And I must say, I think a lot of us were a bit surprised when Ron DeSantis was making all these announcements, all these noise. We hadn't heard a peep uh, from Disney, really, like basically nothing. And now we know why. It's because... Yeah. You know, this, 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 the way that it was set up is that, look, Disney owns this property and they, they effectively did this, this system back in the 60s uh, because they didn't want all the red tape and they were, they were halfway in. A di I think they were both in Seattle and Orange County and it was kind of a mess. And they said, we just need to have our own county and we, just need, we need to be able to do these things, move quickly. We have a huge construction project that will overwhelm uh, the local government. So we need this. And that's probably a paraphrasation of it. And what, what they was trying to do was Ron DeSantis was going to try to play games and their cronies, <laughs> sorry, you know, their cronies of like, we're going to figure out what, what density is and, and for what, what they have, they can use their space. And, you know, apparently the, all those things were just very easily revocable. Um, and the board did it. They were the, before the, the new team came in, they, they took those rights away and said, Disney has, uh in perpetuity until they don't what are on the property or the last 20 years after the death the last king charles yeah um, yeah because uh you can't have perpetuity clauses in real estate in florida so the uh the covenants remain in effect until 21 years after the death of the last remaining currently living descendant of britain's king charles the third so we're looking at potentially like over a hundred years where this is going to remain in effect and uh you know thankfully you know you me rod DeSantis, will all be dead so it doesn't matter yeah somebody well and you know just to kind of talk about a little bit uh you know interesting stuff you know there's always this thing kind of a meme-ish on the internet where like what's the now everyone's an expert in this and now everyone's mm. an expert in this and now i'm, a, I'm an expert in you know <laughs> in, in indictments <laughs> no you're not you yeah, listen no. to experts, and for us in the industry, we know a little bit about this. And and so I, I, I kind of recaptured this on Twitter a few weeks ago or a week ago. And just wanted, I wanted to paraphrase kind of what, what's going on a little bit. So, look, if you own 42 square miles of land, you know, it's the size of San Francisco, two sizes of Manhattan, um, and it's your own land, you can't, you can't just do every, you know, you can't just do everything you want to do. You're, you need to have roads, you need to have safe infrastructure. All those things, and normally those things are provided by the government. Um, back then, this land was so big that you couldn't just ask the local government to do all these things um, without there being some sort of collaboration, some sort of agreement in place. And what you have now is there are plenty of deals that they've done over the years to maintain infrastructure. They've they've done the uh, the parking garages for Disney Springs, uh, and one may say, "Oh, that's not fair." However, the hotel tax, the ticket tax. There are so many tax dollars that are coming in. It's a windfall. Um, anytime Disney expands, anytime Epic, you know, they build Epic Universe, they're getting tax incentives. Um, just like let's, I mean, I, I don't want to use the case of Amazon because they're problematic, but 
Amazon will get sweetheart tax deals to do here because they want to increase revenue. Disney or you know Orange County, Osceola County, they want to keep growing. They want to keep having tourism come into place. And so they want to incentivize that. And where that line is, whether you're conservative or Democrat or whatever, you know, there's a line there where you're comfortable with it. Um, and I'm definitely a little biased on this because normally I would be, you know, I think that they need to be pretty, uh, pretty, you know, when it comes to like huge sweetheart deals to come in and provide, uh, you know, an Amazon factor that's going to do damage to your your city. You know, that's one thing. Well, they're now when it's an established, um, essentially put, you know, Orlando and Florida on the map for tourism, you know, going to bat at this kind of, I'd say, short-sightedly um, it's been really fun to see <laughs> unfold the Disney. You know, they're going to go into court and waste tax dollars. But the idea that uh, there are statements of Ron DeSantis saying that they're going to try to content manage a private company uh, in this manner is wildly inappropriate fashion. Absurd. It's absurd. Um, and, you know, this is where we're real people trying to do things here and not try to, you know, worry about what how to get penalized the company for. Um, against your political point of views. And I'll just say this, if there was a company out there uh, like Chick-fil-A that some people don't align with, the government should not, I don't care if you're, you know, I don't, even if it's San Francisco, I don't think the government should come in there and try to stop uh, or, uh, you know, a free market, you know, a company from doing their business or trying to, in this case, it would be talking about what your menu options should be. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a chicken anymore. It should be beef. Like, no, that's not. And especially for the reasons that are really cynical and, and inappropriate in my point of view as well. So, I mean, it, it goes beyond unconstitutionality. It's, yeah. it's just, it's patently absurd. I mean, you know, I don't know if you watch succession at all, you know, to paraphrase Logan Roy, they're, they're not serious people. Right. It's not, it's not serious. It's, yeah. a, it's a show. Um, yeah. And I'm looking forward to them. I'm just looking forward to it unfolding. Um, the, the Reedy Creek was a legitimate group of people that were doing building codes and they apparently were, top of the notch like cutting edge and now it's rolling back to different codes that are a little you know whatever so it's like okay it's just a mess um but our hearts go out to Ron DeSantis, who was married at disney world um and how awkward, i didn't know that yep how awkward it is and i would just say like if you if you have a problem with gay people and lgbtqi plus people this entire industry is in building our creating our stuff so don't come into our homes and, and our entertainment and say you can't exist do exist people exist and we're not going to roll over and this stuff is such it's so nonsense just don't come don't come if you don't want to turn the change channel you know that there's plenty of people that want to go to these parks and they're all created by creative-minded and and open-minded people so um just say i'll just i'll just say that uh andy anything else to add uh we have universal uh in the news as well well yeah some uh you know uh Late last year, uh, you know, there was uh, some some leadership uh, changes at Universal Creative, and and uh, you know now we have um, you know uh, Brian Robinson and Eric Parr have uh, elevated to SVP roles and uh, EVP roles, and I think that's awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes with their creative leadership. And uh, the other news uh, item is uh, the the um, the giant new cruise ship. That Disney yeah. is going to be sailing out of Singapore for the Southeast Asian and Asian audiences, and uh, I think that's really going to be really cool. And I hope to sail on that ship one day. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see that ship go out. And congrats to the team that they got they found something, and now they're they're building it. So that's exciting. Yeah. Well, it's already built. They just have to, you know, retrofit it to well, you know uh, Disney standards and 
all that. Well, let's get to our, our guest, your friend of mine, Ariel Russell. He's a good friend of the show, good friend of ours. And I got to say, um, the views I just expressed about uh, the Reedy Creek are my own personal views and do not reflect any organization or business on the floor. <laughs> uh, sorry, I had to say that legally. There's some things I'm reading into. So, uh, Ariel, welcome aboard. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Great. So happy you could be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First time on, uh, is it, you've been on TETV before, but this first time on our show. Well, welcome. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because Day in the Life is the other, right? Yeah. Day in the Life is the other yeah. one. Yeah. Because there's been a few shows in that. Yeah. Which well. is back. We just had a, another show, our first show in a while last Friday with nice. the, the, uh, um, what's it called? Something, Sky. Uh, Freckle Sky. Freckled Sky, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was out. a great show. Yeah. So, well, welcome. Other, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Andy. <laughs> it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, all right, I'll take the first question. So we have a, we have we have twenty eight questions here to ask. No, we only have ten. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's only three hours long. <laughs> you've had a you know you've had a lesser of career. You've been um, you've been all over the place in a good way, uh, location wise and geographically. And so, just to set the table a little bit, can you please share? Uh, a little bit about yourself, you know, a career overview and walk us through each step of your career from start to finish. All right. Deep You're finished. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 12 years in, you know, hope for many more exciting years to go um, in this industry. I started out um, as a student at Savannah College of Art and Design, um, SCAD, studying fashion design because I wanted to be in costuming, whether that was on Broadway or working in the theme parks or some other form of theater. Um, that was that was my goal. I'd, I'd had a history in doing fashion and costuming in high school. Um, and a couple of years in at SCAD, I realized maybe that wasn't actually what I wanted to spend my life on. Maybe that was a great hobby. Um, and in my first couple of years at SCAD, I was standing in the queue of the mummy at USH and looked around and went, someone has to do this. Yeah. I want to do this. How do I do this? Who does this? Um, and like many of us who found our way into this, this industry, figuring that part out is not very easy. Um, but I got lucky. I had a professor um, who had some relationships with Imagineering and um, encouraged me to, to think about some changes that might you know, fit me in better to the industry at the same time as I was realizing fashion was not what I wanted to do long term. And so a as I got it down to kind of, well, maybe I want to animate or maybe I want to do architecture or production design or interiors. I had a very wise professor tell me you can do production design with an interior design degree, but you can't go the other way, um, at least as far as getting a license for interiors goes. Uh, which was very wise advice. And so I changed my major to interior design and a couple quarters later, George Head um, joined SCAD, who was a venerated former Imagineer. And I went to him and said, what do I do to get into this industry? Um, because keep in mind, this was before Next Gen. This was, you know, there were maybe a dozen student members in the TEA and most of them were from Carnegie Mellon. And he said, well, the, the TEA is having this conference down in Orlando in a few weeks, SATE. Um, you should go. And so I kind of begged, borrowed and stole my way down to Orlando for a long weekend and signed up as, you know, a member days before the conference and, and walked into this conference, not knowing anyone thinking, what's the worst that can happen? Um, being the lost duckling that I was and one of the only student members, some really lovely industry professionals took pity on me and took me under their wing and, uh, took me to dinner. Um, 
major hat tip to Scott Gill and Mike Vassar for that and introduced me to a few folks and, and said, you know, we'll, we'll show you around during the conference and introduced me around. And I left that conference with a print member directory when they still existed from the TEA and went home and blind emailed about 60 companies um, or cold emailed and said, please, please hire me. You, surely you must need an intern. I will work in the mailroom. What do you need? Um, and about 12 of them responded. Uh, about eight of those were, who were you and how did you get this email? Um, a couple of them were, hey, we don't have internships, but good luck to you. Um, and I ended up with two internship offers, one at MSI, the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, um, and one for a design firm in Seattle, the Portico Group, who is now MIG. Um, one of those internships was paid, one was not. I took the paid one um, and moved myself out to Seattle for four months to go work for Portico as an uh, interpretive design intern. Um, didn't know what that meant. Not sure they knew what that meant either at the time, but we figured it out along the way. And I spent the first couple of weeks with them trying to figure out what I did. And then they figured out I knew CAD and I was very busy for the next three months. Um, nice. And got to work on some really cool projects. I got to work on aquariums and zoos and a tiny little rodeo museum in Haley, Idaho, of all places. Um, and just learn from some really, really incredible people, which was enough to cement, yeah, I want to do this. Um, and so I went back to finish up my degree and SCAD had a really great relationship with WDI where we had an off-campus program where we got to go spend a week with Imagineering in Florida. And while I was there, George set me up with a meet and greet with a manager in another department um, called FAM who had a room that did a lot of the renovations for the on-property uh, hotel rooms, lobbies, concierge spaces. And we started talking and a year later, because we actually started talking before I ever went and took that Portico internship. Um, so while I was actually out at Portico, they called and said, what are you doing next summer? Um, so by, you know, late winter of my senior year, I had an internship lined up with with FAM at Disney. About three months into that internship, the interiors team at WDI said, why is there this other interior design team over here doing their own thing? They should be part of us. And so we got folded into WDI and I spent the next nine months on the rooms team or sorry, on the interiors team there working on primarily the Starbucks portfolio, but also some of New Fantasyland, the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique and Harrods, lots of different character meet and greets. Um, it's a really great broad exposure to, to everything and about a month before my internship ended, my project portfolio got put on hold. So there went any hope of extended employment. Um, but they called, they said, hey, we have these friends at this architecture firm down the street. We use their people a lot. If we get you in there, we can still use you as a staff extension and you'll get to work on all kinds of other projects too. Um, so that's why I started at Morris Architects, which is now Hewitt Sellers, and immediately got put on Starbucks projects at Universal. Um, I would love to know if anyone has built more theme park Starbucks than me. My current count is six. <laughs> um, it's it's a real world, guys. Um, but uh, yeah, so I built a bunch more Starbucks and a whole bunch of restaurants at CityWalk and got to work on Diagon Alley for like two weeks on a thing that never actually got built. Um, RIP, VIP lounge. Um, and uh, then decided I don't, I wasn't loving um what i was was doing in in that job it was just compared to the work i'd been doing it wasn't as creative or fulfilling and so i started to think about what was next and i actually was interviewing for a job at merlin and i called uh, a mentor of mine in los angeles who knew one of the interviewers and asked if he had any advice and he said yeah i have advice for you don't take that job move to los angeles 
Um, you're going to go out and be in London where there's no one else, you know, move to LA, you're in the hub of the industry, you need to come out here and cut your teeth. Um, and I pushed him off for a whole bunch of reasons. And he summarily dismissed every single one of those reasons and said, all right, listen, you're coming out for the Theas and the summit. Spend a week afterwards. I'll set you up with meetings. Um, if you don't want to move at the end of that week, I'll leave you alone. And so he was true to his word and set me up for meetings all over town the week after the summit. Um, I have been lucky to just have some really, really wonderful supporters, especially early in my career. Um, and he called me at the end of that week and said, well, um, and I said, yeah, my lease is up in June and I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> and so the harder part was uh, I had a job that was in Florida um, and I didn't have a job in California, but we had a team in LA. And so I went to my boss and I said, hey, my lease is up in June and I'm moving to California and I would love to go work on that team. But whether or not you say yes, I'm moving to California. Um, and they went, okay. I said, great. Before you can change your mind, I also want to take five weeks off before I do that. Okay, bye. Uh, <laughs> and um, somehow managed to get that through. They supported it. I took a summer off unpaid and had a massive road trip across the country. And if you can ever manage to do that, I highly recommend it. Um, and landed in California to work on um, Pandora for the team there with the Architect of Record. And um, as the team kind of got back to wanting to move back to Florida and move the team back to site, I said, yeah, no, thanks. I'm going to stay here in LA and went and hopped over to Universal Studios uh, to work on the placemaking team at Universal Creative, which was a really wonderful hodgepodge of get to do a little bit of everything, which for me was really great because part of what I was struggling with as I was wrapping up Pandora was feeling like I still wasn't in the right job. I, you know, was given these little, I'm staring at ceiling plans all day or I'm redlining steel drawings and I'm doing things that it's just, here's your little piece of the puzzle, go back and do your thing, report back when you're done. And as interesting as the project was, I just, my job satisfaction was really low. And I was watching friends of mine on the project who are producers and starting to think that looks interesting. How do I do that? And they started having conversations with me and introducing me to other producers and people higher up in the company who could kind of coach me and figure out if that's actually what I wanted to do. And so one of them said, just go get one more design job. Like that's such a coveted position. Just go get one more design job and figure out if that's really, if it's just that this isn't creative enough for you. So the job at Universal let me design and let me project manage and do contracts and vendor management and a little bit of everything because we were such a small team. And within six months in that job, it was like, oh, yeah, the staring at CAD all by myself, you know, that's not my jam. Getting to work with everybody and have a finger in every, you know, piece of the project and really be part of the process is so much more interesting to me. And so kept those conversations going, started reaching out to folks to just tell me more about their jobs and what they did and how could I do that. And I'd had a longstanding relationship with ThinkWell at that point. And I called up their head of recruiting at the time and said, hear me out. I know we've been talking about show set jobs for the past couple of years, but I really want to manage. Um, would you consider hiring me as a junior level PM or producer? And they basically said, we've been waiting for you to figure it out. When can you start? Um, which was incredible. And um, very validating because I'd had people early in my career tell me to consider project management and in the vanity of a design school grad kept going, but I'm a designer and not wanting to do that, which is 
silly. Um, so I started my first job as a PM at Thinkwell, shoved into the deep end enthusiastically. Um, absolutely loved it. Spent a year and a half traveling all over the world. Um, got to go to the Middle East, got to travel all around the States, um, working on some really interesting projects. But ultimately, as much as I loved LA and as great as it was to spend four years there, my family's all on the East Coast. I'm an only child. LA is insanely expensive. There were a number of reasons stacking up that it didn't make sense for me to stay there. Um, so it came time to move back to Orlando and look for a job that would bring me back East, but still let me continue down that producerial track. Um, so I took a job with AOA. Um, worked on a bunch of projects at Disney with them, um, was a great experience, but ultimately was still a little more in the design and show set world than I wanted to be. Um, but it was great because they let me freelance and, and kind of fill half my schedule. And over the years, I'd also been doing kind of art as a side hustle. And that let me really experiment with what that would look like to do that full time. Um, ultimately learned that art is a great hobby and I really love it, but making it my full-time job had a way of killing that joy. And also things like 401ks and paid vacation are wonderful. Um, so I'm glad I got to do it. It scratched that itch and answered the question. But um, after about a year of doing that, I was at IAPA and starting to think more about what would it look like to come back to a full-time role in the industry and ran into um, my friend Dan Moali, who I'd known through the industry for a few years. And, and he said, why don't we talk more about that? And invited me over to lunch at Scenario. Um, and they were just in this really exciting place where they had just delivered Star Wars and, and had all these other really cool projects coming up. And, and he said, what do you think about design managing our design team? And that was interesting to me because it was a really nice hybrid of still getting to use those design skills that I built over the years, but really lean more towards the management track that I wanted to be on and had really been developing over the last five. So I went over and did that. Um, and kind of as as we shifted within the company and, and changed kind of how we did things and how my own priorities shifted, um, I moved back into more of a producer role and then also started taking on uh, project development and business development capabilities and scope. Um, and getting to really learn what it was to help sell projects and, and bring work into the company. And in that time, um, Thinkwell went remote. And as, as great a scenario was, as great as many other places I've worked have been, I think, well, I, I was so sad to leave Thinkwell when I moved back east. And so when the opportunity came up to go back um, during COVID, it really just felt like a homecoming. And so when they said, hey, we'd love to have you on our project development team, and it was a chance for me to continue leveraging everything I've been learning and, and slot into this role where I could really help develop scopes and schedules and budgets and strategically plan projects and be on that front end. It was just a no-brainer to me. Um, so as of last November, I've, I'm back at ThinkWell. Um, and it's wild to think about all the steps and journeys that have been along the way. But each one of them was, was so necessary to get me to where I am now. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been back, gosh, about six months now. Wow. Well, you, you, you answered a lot of our questions. Now I have to kind of go off script. <laughs> no, um, I mean, okay, now I, I, I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip. I'm not even going to skip ahead. I'm going to ask a question that occurred to me now just at the end, because uh, I was going to ask how you make the transition from creative to production, but you, you answered that already. But I think more the more interesting question now is, you know, you're sort of mid-career, one would hope. 
and uh, maybe one third career. Sure. And um, how 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 do you how did you make the transition? Really, like you know, all the experience you have in creative and production to development. I mean, it's not just business development, but project development. And it, you know, the, you know, can you talk about what that new role is and, and how you use all the skills and experience that you've gathered along the way for that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it first happened, it kind of happened naturally. I mean, any of y'all who know me know I'm a people person and a relationship person. Um, early on, someone told me a networking style is super connecting. And and that is, I'm very much the like, hey, you, you, you should talk. And so getting into project development was kind of natural as far as that went, because so much of it is relationships. And oh, you need this thing for a project. I know this other person, this is great. And it's having that that Rolodex and the deep, deep bench of, of talented people that you trust and you can call and, and put together project teams. Um, I think when, when BizDev had been presented to me as sales, it kind of always gave me the ick, just because I didn't, we all think of, right, the like, 90s TV snake oil salesman that, you know, could sell ice to Eskimos. And that was never what I wanted to do. But when it became clear that there was a way to do development that was really relationship driven, that was a lot more interesting to me. Um, so I kind of landed in it to, on accident, to be honest, um, at Scenario, when we just needed more support in that because we were so busy. Um, and I was working with Matt Kent, who's, you know, just a guru at, at business development and one of my best friends. And, and so getting to learn with him was, was really exciting and kind of learn where we're similar and where we're different and how we approach things. And then at Thinkwell specifically, we really want a, a background in production to look at this because it's so important to understand how, how projects happen and how things get delivered and what it looks like to run into a change order in the middle of a scope because you were missing something when you sold it or what a realistic schedule is. So to have all that knowledge now, I don't think I could do this job if I hadn't been in project delivery and actively boots on the ground for several years beforehand. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, and, and how, just how would you define project development? Because it sounds like a made up thing. Sure. Well, because some places it's business development, right? But some places it's way more sales driven. You know, it's, I think it really varies for us. We really stay much more hands on um, in the beginning parts of the project and helping really partnering in lockstep with project management to write those scopes and deliverable lists and budgets and schedules. Um, whereas I think sometimes more traditional, like, business development is bring the lead in and then kick it over to someone else who might do that part. Um, so I, I think when with us calling it project development, it's, it's because we're so much more involved. Um, and then we stay involved from a client relationship standpoint, because so much of our business in this industry is repeat, right? If you've got if you've got clients that love you, you hope that they'll come back to you again and again. Yeah, I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna rephrase our other question we had. Um, cause I think this is really, this is really important. And I, and I kind of feel, um, very, like I'm kind of part of it because I switched from project management to being more on the creative side and then you did the exact opposite. <laughs> and you, you mentioned the whole vanity of being a designer and letting that go and, and all that. Um, and I'm probably reaching for that vanity and want to hold on to it. Um, <laughs> but it was love. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Love to hear your thoughts on that of like, how, what was it like to have people telling you, hey, you're actually should be doing this, but really 
that wasn't where your heart was or, or you know what I mean? Or you, you came around to be that. Um, I would love to hear that journey because you kind of touched on it. Like, oh, people were telling you that and you thought maybe it was condescending or, or I don't even know if you did or not, but it's like just maybe not what you were trying to be about. I think a lot of us, especially like you spend so much of college trying to figure out who you are, what do you want to do? What's your identity? You're finally out on your own. And so it's really easy to get locked into that. Um, and I spend a lot of time now telling the students I work with that you're more than your major. Um, because you need, you need that sense of identity when you graduate. Absolutely. You know, we don't hire generalists. We hire graphic designers and architects and engineers and you name it, show set designers. So you need that identity, but you are not, that, that identity is not who you are as a whole person. Um, it's your foot in the door. And so I think everyone has to come to it on their own terms. I, I think other people telling you who they think you should be is never something you want to hear. But for me, a really big part of it was, you know, I was tremendously lucky to get some of the opportunities I did early in my career in terms of project scale and scope. And so I was, you know, sitting with my peers or, or with the next gen I was working with and getting told, oh my God, you're living the dream. Like you have the dream job. How do we do what you're doing? How do we follow in your footsteps? And to hear that and then have to fight that internal battle of like, I can't tell them I am miserable. Like I am not happy in my job. I'm not fulfilled when so many people would probably shove me under a bus to have my job. You know, that's not a great feeling to have to reconcile within yourself. Um, but it is something that I think you do just have to sit with. And it's not a decision I made quickly. Um, it took me you know, moving out of that role at Morris into a kind of mid-step role that was a, a small, a small leap, right? It was a little bit of risk. It was, there was design and project management. So if I came into that role and was like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. It would have been very easy for me to stay safe and say, no, design is right for me. I, I, I am in the right place. But I think finding those opportunities where you get to try new things in a moderate level of risk. I, I am a big advocate of risk and taking chances because I think that's the only way that you really figure those things out. Um, but they're also, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more into leaving that role to a certain degree. I had this whole idea of who I was going to be in my life and what I was going to do. And I found other ways to do it. I, I have so many creative hobbies now. I, I'm wearing my interior designer hat to redesign my bathrooms at home. I paint, I sew, I knit, I do all these things. And because my job is not who I am as an entire person, I can still be creative. I can still do these other things. It's just not how I pay my bills. Yeah, deep. Well, we have a, a question from the audience from Theron Langhorn, friend of the show. Uh, what is your dream project and what type of project do you feel would be a big challenge for you? I know that's that's a big question, but like... Projects that tend to be a really big challenge for me are the ones that really lean into the, te the technology space, um, just mm. because I really come out of architecture, right? I come out of the built environment. And so the times that I've worked on projects that are really squishy, um, I think if someone tried to throw me a metaverse project, I would just throw up my hands and say, no. <laughs> This is someone else's wheelhouse. This is not me. Um, I That whole thing is just not, I know that's where part of the industry is going to a certain degree where there's going to be digital parts of things. The word digital makes my skin crawl. Um, but I get it. There is a place for that with people. Um, it's just not my place. A dream project. I really, really love immersive theater. Um, I'm a huge theater nerd. I 
you know, scrimped and saved up pennies to do Star Cruiser. I have flown across the country to go to immersive theater things and, you know, opening weekends. So getting to do something in that space, whether it is, you know, a growth on something like Star Cruiser, whether it is taking an experience that starts to get us into that Westworld, you know, really live and role play that journey, um, to me would just be so magical and so much fun. Um, especially because so many of these experiences looking at like Legends of Frontierland and some of these things that have happened in the past are so heavily analog. Um, and I'm a huge believer in that analog first experiences can still be some of the best things that we do. Yeah. No, I pre and stay on, stay on the line afterwards because I want to talk to you about Star Cruiser. <laughs> so, uh, so next question on our list here, we have actually have a scroll. Uh, you know, so you've switched roles a lot, you know, and, and I, I, you know, some people out there have been at the same company for 10, 20 years. Um, maybe it's our generational thing where if you're a little bit more, you know, you're trying to make your way in the industry, you tend to, you know, kind of bounce around a bit or all of the above the freelance nature of the industry as well. Um, but there always comes that time when you're in a position and you've mentioned it quite frequently where you needed to make a change. Um, you know, so how did you how did you make make it come to the conclusion it was time to make a change, and how did you make peace with that realization that it was time to move on? Sometimes there's no choice. Um, my job at Universal was a 16 month contract. Um, you know, but I think I encourage a lot of especially early career folks to not be scared of the contracts. Right, take the project gig because there's always more work afterwards. Um, especially if you stay present and network and stay connected. You know. Um, Others, you know, it just became apparent I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. And, and so making that piece with moving on was really easy. Other times, like moving back east and leaving Thinkwell, I cried in my car for like the first hour out of LA of like, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? I, did I just make the biggest mistake I've ever made? Um, and it took years of being back in Orlando to feel like, I didn't screw everything up. You know, I mean, my first couple of years back in Orlando, the amount of times I contemplated picking up and moving back to LA, um, even in, you know, even though I was wildly glad I was not doing COVID in my 1500 or I'm sorry, 450 square foot, you know, studio apartment. Um, I'm glad to have been in Orlando for that. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of second guessing that decision. Um, so I think there's just a certain amount of like, getting comfortable with discomfort. Um, as existential as that is, um, you just have to make a decision and, and go with it and know that you're gonna live with the consequences, whether they're positive or negative. And at the very least you learned something out of it. I've made mistakes along the way. I There there are jobs in that mix that if I had to do it again, I don't know that that's what I would have chosen, um, but I don't regret any of them because every single step along the way, I learned something about our industry. I learned something about the work. I learned something about myself. Um, and that's, that's really, really valuable. That is very wise, very wise words. I try sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, let's let you, you, you touched a little bit, uh, on your, your crafting Etsy business. Uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the genesis of that and, you know, that road that you went down for, for quite a while and, and yeah. almost didn't come back from. It's true. Um, it was kind of wild. I 
I started it when I was in the thick of like doing nothing but red lines at work. And you can only red line so many bathrooms before you're like, my God, I need to, I need to go throw paint at a wall. Like I, you know, was so physical art based in college, this sitting, sitting every day at my computer and then coming home and staring at more screens. Mm -mm, couldn't do it. Um, so I started making jewelry and, and working with leather and stone and all these things that I dabbled with in the past. I, you know, had always played with it in high school and college and, um, just really enjoyed the physicality of getting to work with my hands. And so just decided, man, eh, whatever, I'll start an Etsy. If it, if it makes enough money for pay for my Disney annual pass, great. Um, and then it kind of did better than that. Um, and it took a while, you know, I, I kept it going on the side in LA and evolved and, and learned to silversmith and kind of uh, up leveled my skills and started doing craft shows on weekends. Um, and there were times where I felt like I was working a 40 hour job during the week and a 40 hour job at night trying to do both. But for the most part, I was able to balance it. Um, and then I moved back to Orlando and had the luxury of space because real estate is a lot more affordable here. And I turned my spare bedroom at home into a studio um, and got to do a lot of the work that I'd never really had the space or means to do in LA just because I, I, I had such a small living space. And I started painting um, and working more with ceramics and home pieces and things that I hadn't really explored before. And a few months into that, I had a piece go viral, um, which I'd never experienced before. And that was wild. And all of a sudden I was making as much from my side hustle as I was making from my day job. Um, and clearly that was not sustainable for my mental health or my physical health because sleep is important. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean you had a piece go viral? You had a, a piece of jewelry that you made? I had a, a, a painted planter of all things oh, go okay. viral on Instagram. Okay. Um, like thousands and thousands and thousands of views. Um, wow. Could not keep it in stock. Like it was just, but it was hand painted, right? Like there was no way to scale this. I was painting yeah. every single one. Uh, and it was like <laughs> November. So everyone's shopping for Christmas. Oh. It, you know, it was just, I was literally like sleeping like three, four hours a night trying to like work because we were also in like a deadline crunch of delivering SD on a project at work. Awesome. You know? awesome. <laughs> and then I'm doing this on the, the, the like for, forget weekends because I'm doing craft shows every Saturday and Sunday and you're yeah. trying to keep enough stock in you know for craft shows and online orders and i by the end of that year was like i i can't i can't do this wow. like this is not sustainable um and so the personal journey i left out of that was i was also realizing i, I was ready to buy a house and everything but i wasn't going to be able to buy a house with freelance income i needed to do it while i was still in full-time job because two years proof of income blah 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 mortgages are done um and so i got everything in place came back from Christmas, called a realtor friend and was like, Hey, I want to buy a house. Um, within two and a half weeks, I had an offer in on my house, uh, closed a month later, a week after closing, I quit my job. Um, <laughs> 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 um, if ever there is a leap and build your wings on the way down, like that was this experience of like, hope this works. Yeah. Um, and don't tell the bank. Right. Like, luckily, like I've got a mortgage to pay now. We're going to have to figure this out. I was still freelancing 10, 20 hours a week. So I had, you know, that was making enough for me to like pay the mortgage and eat like beanie weenies and ramen and keep the lights on. Um, and then anything I could do, you know, with Lamesto on top of that was gravy. Um, but then like all of a sudden it's my full-time job, right? Like I am by myself in my studio. Eight hours a day would be wrong. 12, 14 hours a day, you know, just 
painting and watching Netflix, um, talking to my dog, <laughs> you know, just very quickly was like, oh, any of you who know me, like you can, you can imagine about how well that sat with me. Um, you know, I'm, I was constantly, evenings were rolling around. I'm like, who wants to go to dinner? Who wants to do things? I need to talk to humans. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I was still going to conferences. I was still going to summit. I was still going to IAPA. I was still showing up and everyone was talking about their projects and everything they were doing. And it was just like, oh, am I really okay with leaving this behind? Like, is that, I don't think that's what I want. Um, and then again, Christmas rolls around and I have no weekends. I'm, I'm living in my business and it's growing and it's great. And I'm, I'm in, stores in almost every state in the country. I mean, like I have hit what I would consider success. I have replaced my income, you know, but it just was not, again, that fulfilling experience where I, I could not see what a five-year plan on that looked like. I couldn't look forward to like, am I still sitting here painting pots and watching Netflix five years from now because my back is going to be screwed if that's the case you know like it just there was no path there that i could look and see a long-term future i couldn't figure out how to scale the business i couldn't figure out a thing that didn't have me working by myself all day every day and and i tried i spitballed ideas with friends to open a co-op and you know with like an artist space in orlando i didn't feel like the market was there for that thank god i didn't 2020 would have destroyed that um mm -hmm. and and so it, it really did come around to that iapa me going in and going all right i, I want back in I, I want back into that full-time role. This is not the right fit for me, but I did it. And so I never have to wonder what would have happened if I, cause I think I would have always wondered, I would have always wondered what would it be like to be my own boss and work for myself and, and do art all the time. And, and two, I think, you know, speaking to, there's a lesson in everything. It's given me a lot of food for thought of if I ever did decide I wanted to start my own company within the industry, I think the answer is no, I, I don't think that's for me. You know? <laughs> like, so like Andy, I completely admire that you're able to do your own thing. Cause I did, I learned in that experience that that was not what I wanted to do. Um, well, yeah, it's not easy. And I appreciate you saying that, you know, it's funny. Uh, I've talked to some friends who, who uh, have considered also starting their own, you know, design company and, and have started their own design company, design and production. And like, really, you know, getting clients isn't always the biggest obstacle. The biggest obstacle generally is cash flow. Yeah. And especially when you're starting projects and you're doing concept and you have to scale up and it's just you or just you and a couple of people and you have to hire 10 artists. Yeah. You know, and you and they're all they all want some money up front. And it's just like, OK, where am I going to get this 10 grand? Or whatever yeah. you know that's the biggest problem because like if you if you aren't if you are in a position to start your own business in this in this industry you already have clients so that's not the issue the issue is is generally cash flow yeah. i just don't know that i ever want to be responsible for someone else's livelihood that's mm. a huge yeah. burden, you know yeah we should do we could do a, show, a whole show about that <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, want, I mean, just congratulations on your success yeah. with that. You know, just beginning in stores across the country, having them replace your income. That's that's not something that that takes a lot of hard work and gumption. So, just congratulations, and it's great that you did it. And then now, you then you knew. Yeah, like you said, you you now you now you you scratch that itch. You discovered that you know it wasn't for you, and I mean that's admirable. I mean, you did it. And it ate up all my time for other hobbies. Like now yeah. I can yeah. knit and crochet and bake and yeah. do everything for fun because I have time, you know? Yeah. So what are the most important things uh, that we say, you know, is that you cannot burn any bridges in this industry, particularly this industry, because 
it's the same people over and over again. Um, and, uh, you know, I've left companies, um, Ariel, you've left several companies, uh, which is, which, and, and gracefully, and I think that's really important. You know, everybody has that, you know, that vision of, you know, kind of leaving on, you know, oh, I'm out of here and, you know, screw you, whatever it is. Um, you know, but how did you, how did you, how do you go about maintaining those relationships when a, maybe you got fired from that company, I've had that happen. And then you kind of have to maintain those or stay cordial and you're pissed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, well, any recommendations on that? I, I've been lucky to never be let go. Um, but I have definitely left on what I would consider less than stellar terms, you know, whether that's because they feel like you left them in the middle of a project or, you know, any of those things. And I, it's hard. I, I do think I've probably burned some bridges along the way, or at least lightly torched them. You know, I like to think there haven't any that I've absolutely just, you know, nuked. Um, and it's, it's hard because it's a it's a small industry and gossip gets around and you have to, you know, always be aware of who you're talking to and what you're saying. And the fact that the person sitting at the table next to you in a restaurant might also work in the industry because Orlando and L.A. are really big, small towns, um, you know, and sometimes it's time. You know, I feel like there's been places that I've left where I probably was dead to them for the next couple of years and then either they realized or I realized or some combination of the two that we were gonna find, have to work together on a project and we better figure it out. Um, and to a certain degree, time heals all wounds, right? You know, I think there's times where it's just like, seriously guys, that was 10 years ago. Are we still mad at that? You know, yeah, I mean- This, this industry, this industry um, has a long memory, but it also gives a lot of second chances to yeah. people as well. I think that's true. I think a lot of it is just, just be kind. You know, it's 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 not that hard to make the time to speak to someone to say something softer than it needs to be delivered, you know, to just to just have that awareness. Um, and I do still have really close friendships and relationships from a lot of the jobs that that I've moved on from. And a lot of times I see them on job sites or on the other side of a bid table, um, you know, competing with each other. But then we'll all go out for drinks afterwards, you know, and it's just sometimes it takes more effort than others, you know, and sometimes it's super easy. Um it's it's just having to remember that as close as we all are, you know, because I, I do consider some of my friends in the industry, my, my closest personal friends, it is also still work. It is also still professional. It is also still business. Um, and just that is, I think, the biggest, especially to to younger folks coming into the industry out of school or folks coming in sideways. It's very easy to get overly familiar Um with people because we're all so kind and, and, and welcoming as an industry and everyone is so friendly. Um, it can be hard to keep those boundaries, but I think it's actually really important, especially when you're starting off because otherwise it's way too easy to take things personally. If, if someone is a friend, you know, you think of this, Oh, that's, Oh, that's my, that's my best buddy at this company. What do you mean? I didn't get the job. Hmm. Well, yeah, we're friends. But Never expect special you, treatment, though. You weren't the best fit for the job or yeah. some other reason, you know. So I think it's just important to remember those boundaries, too. Well, I think related to that, I think we can wrap up with our, with our final question, which is what advice would you give? What advice do you give to people coming in, like you, you've said, uh, new to the industry or sideways even? Patience. 
Um, God, especially after the last three years, right? You know, I think, and this was told to me and I begrudgingly did or did not accept it, you know, that this is an industry of timing. Um, And it's just because you are amazing at what you do or you bring a lot to the industry doesn't mean that, I mean, you might come in at a time where we're all mid project cycle and we're staffed up and the bench is full. And like the reality is, and I, I tell this especially a lot to, to, students who are looking because it's really easy to get discouraged um you know that you can be great at what you do you can have the best shining personality you can be someone we all want to work with but if that project budget is maxed out i can't magically find more money for you um and that's me going into project manager manager mode because i'll look at my budget and just be like you're right i would love to work with you when when the right project rolls around i'll call you that might be a year from now you know, it might be two months from now. I have no idea. Go ask business development. You know, right? Like it's you just really don't know. Um, so I think patience is a really, really huge part of it. And then, you know, I said it before and I'll say it again, just get comfortable with a certain level of risk. Um, mm-hmm. this is not an industry for the faint-hearted. You've you've got to be comfortable with knowing that you might be out of a job in a couple of weeks when a project ends and the next one starts up not much later, you know, but to that end, keep some money in a savings account. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's it's just we're we're a gig industry, not as much as maybe film or theater, but very much still a gig based industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and and follow follow what speaks to you. You are, I said it before, you're more than your major. Um, if if you get into your industry and you find out you're really good at something you didn't think you'd be good at, or that you thought you'd be good at, but maybe you didn't study or whatever, leverage it. Yeah, yeah like you said. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Andy. Like I said, like you said earlier, tr- you got to trust your gut and do what's right for you. And I'll, and I'll just say, I think the number of times people have asked me what my major was in college, like zero. Uh, now I'm not an architect or anything like that, but <laughs> it's like people have to move on. And once you're all in, you're in the mix. Um, it, yeah. College is important though. Um, <laughs> all right, Andy, question to you. I'm loving this interview, reading for the podcast. Oh, sorry, Andy, do you want to read it out loud? No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's not so much a question. Ariel kind of, I just wanted to reach out to Dan. I, I, uh, I'm also an audio media designer, and I uh, just wanted to encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I think you're writing from LinkedIn. I think that's what the icon is. So please reach out to me, Andy Garfield, on LinkedIn, and I, I'm happy to chat with you about that. Well, well, I'm just going to read it aloud because this is for the podcast. I'm loving this interview, exclamation point. Not exactly on topic, comma, but I can relate to a lot of what's been discussed. Awesome. I'm an audio media designer. I've done quite a few theme entertainment projects and absolutely love everything about it. I would like to make it the focus of my practice, but I'm having a lot of trouble breaking in. I know audio media is not her field, but would Ariel or anyone, Andy, have any general advice for getting on the usual uh, suspect's radar? Um, Andy, would you like to inform your competition about how to... (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you for the question. Well, I, I'm interested to, to hear what, what his definition of audio media design is, and I, I'd love to have him reach out and uh, we can chat about that. You know, I'm more of a uh, music and sound uh, composer, producer type. Um, I don't design systems necessarily, if that's what he's talking about. So, yeah, reach out. Uh, happy to chat with you. And thank you for watching the show. Well, Ariel, any parting words you'd like to share to the audience? And, of course, thank you so much for sticking on. And, um, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on. It's been great talking with you, and I look forward to seeing you uh, very shortly out in LA. You're going yeah, to LA, right? absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Good. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I I generally like you guys said, find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to chat. Um, I'm around, and I mean, the biggest thing I would say, especially like Dan, to your question, show up. 
This is an out of sight, out of mind industry. So if you aren't at things, if you if you aren't at the mixers, if you aren't at the events, if people don't know you, they're not going to think of you when opportunity does come up. Um, so just show up, be present, meet people, be friendly, be someone people want to work with. It's you know I'm just gonna this is a closing thought really. Uh, when I first moved to Orlando, uh, the first uh, I just I just knew the TA because I'd volunteered for the Theos with Andy a, a couple years prior. I had no job prospects, knew nobody. I knew a couple of people in Orlando, but like nobody that could really help me in any way. And I went to a TEA event and, um, and it, I've met a lot of people and it was across the street from like the Orlando science, not science, but like art museum. And they were doing a, a fundraiser for universal uh, for somebody who had passed away from cancer. And they had a bunch of industry people from the industry and they had really an interesting thing where they said, you know, you're in the room right now here with people who are in the industry. That is your sphere of people. And you're just one ring out. And so as you get closer and closer into the industry, you just have to keep doing that. And that reminded me of that. And uh, that's so important. Um, at that event, that TA event, I met somebody who I linked and friended. Her name is Joanna De Morale. Mm -hmm. And later on, she posted about Slice Creative Network. And so I saw that. And then I went and interviewed with 10 different companies 10 years ago. Which landed me in my job so it's like being there in the room being there amongst people yeah it's where you have to be every single job i've ever had and as we've been through the list is not super short um <laughs> has come through relationships that i have made largely through the tea but also through school and alumni network and everything else um mm -hmm. not a single one of them has been the result of blindly applying online or on linkedin yeah no yeah the big theme across all of our interviews with uh with our friends and colleagues you know is it's all about relationships. Yep. So don't screw it up. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Uh, we're, we're back next week live. We are. Around the globe. Uh, we're being uh, joined by uh, Jeff Sugar and company from EDSA. I don't know if that's been publicly announced yet, but that's happening. Uh, so we're going to talk about landscape architecture. That's going to be a lot of fun and a very unique uh, aspect of the industry. Uh, so join us next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you so much, Ariel. Thank you, CJ, for producing the show. Wow. You did a great job. There he is. <laughs> <laughs>